I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy anniversary, Kiki. Happy anniversary, Tuesday. Uh, November 25th, 2019, our very first episode was released. The Little Mermaid, three years ago. Oh, how time flies. Three years old now, we're a toddler. I'm only three years old. Uh, Wait, that's that's Bugs Bunny. I can't do that in a Disney podcast. (laughs) Um, who, who, who knows the way WB's going? We this might be <laughs> might be a flash sale soon. Who knows? <laughs> oh. So yes, how are we celebrating three years of a podcast while continuing with Disaster Month? Ah! If this podcast wasn't a disaster already, <laughs> so. And- this is the first one that's kind of been produced, distributed by, you know, a, a Disney label. Touchstone, uh, yeah. This is a this is Touchstone Pictures. Disney's uh, created that in the eighties to try to push their PG thirteen and R rated movies. Distributed by Buena Vista, so I mean, yeah, this was kind of Disney through and through. Uh, instead of in the in the Fox buyout under our tenuous uh, tentacles of the Disney creep uh, as it expands, uh, this one was a, a Disney production. I mean, it it was. And uh, we we get this movie under kind of suspicious happenings, suspicious hmm. dealings. Hmm. Because uh, if you were alive at the time, if you're not one of our younger, you know, Gen Gen Z kind of <laughs> listeners, uh, but uh, if if you were if you were remember when this came out, you may remember that 1998 was the year of two asteroid movies, and Armageddon was the second of those. It's actually not the film I would prefer to be talking about because I actually prefer the other film more. Those who like the disaster genre actually think Deep Impact is the better film. Mm. Deep Impact, uh, however, that was produced by uh, Paramount and DreamWorks. Um, and the writer of the movie Deep Impact has claimed that he went to a lunch with a Disney executive to try to pitch them the movie first and that the executive sat at the lunch and took copious notes on the movie. Oh yeah, hmm, this sounds really interesting. We might be interested in buying this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they passed on the movie. And so he went and pitched it to DreamWorks and uh, DreamWorks picked it up and decided to make it. And then, interestingly, Disney had a suspiciously similar movie. 
suddenly so is, in development. This is an ant situation all over again, huh? Yeah, it seems to be that sort of thing. So um, this uh, does seem to be one of those things where somebody decided we're going to pass on yours and we're going to make our own with blackjack and hookers. And if you've seen Armageddon, you know that there is both blackjack and hookers in this. <laughs> so uh, ironically, yeah. this, ironically, once again, between Disney and DreamWorks. Yeah, it it seems to be the the same sort of kind of weird poaching situation. At least if you believe the writer of Deep Impact, and so they were made at roughly the same time and released within a couple of months of each other. Deep Impact is, uh, according to me and critics and scientists, the more interesting, thoughtful emotional and scientifically accurate film and Armageddon is the one that has Michael Bay and explosions and uh Aerosmith song by Aerosmith <laughs> yeah it's it, it's the flashier less thoughtful weirder one with bigger stars at the time interestingly both of them star a person who would then immediately go on to star in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, one of them has Liv Tyler, one of them has Elijah Wood. So, <laughs> um, so, but, as, yeah, so, as you know, as we mentioned uh, at the end of last week's episode, the 90s was kind of the the return of the disaster movie, the revival of the disaster movie. Outbreak, Twister, Titanic. Dante's Peak. One that I, I really kind of liked, honestly. <laughs> I, I really liked that one. And if you want to count it, and if you want to count it, Independence Day and the uh, Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie. Which uh, a lot of people do count at least one of those. I mean, I definitely count Independence Day. I mean, um, that Godzilla movie was a disaster before a completely different reason. Well, yeah. I mean, and and they even kind of you know we get a kind of poke and prod at that yeah. that movie in, in this as well. Yeah, I mean, basically, most Roland Emmerich movies uh, of the time are kind of in that disaster genre as well I would I would argue and and you mentioned Michael Bay but this one also has Jerry Brockheimer involved and J.J. Abrams involved that was the thing that surprised me because I do not think I knew until the uh, rewatch for this that he was involved because at the time I don't think any of us knew who J.J. Abrams was. Yeah, I think he was just a writer then. He wasn't really a direct, known as a director then. Well, and also, I mean, he had he had some success. He had done um, a couple of movies that I had liked prior to that. He had done uh, Regarding Henry with Harrison Ford. Um, and he had done um, a movie called Forever Young with Mel Gibson uh, that was a, a decent hit prior to this. And I remember watching both of those movies quite a lot in my childhood. I hate to say it, but not a lot of screenwriters are huge names. 
Mm-hmm. You you really have to have a big string of hits to be well known as a screenwriter. I never even really put together that the same person wrote those two films. And I certainly didn't put together that those two films, which are both like really sweet drama romance, you know, they're very chick flicky. (laughs) And then he goes on to write Armageddon, you know, like, and also to be JJ Abrams that we know of today. Like if, you know, you go back and you tell people now, like, oh, J.J. Abrams wrote regarding Henry and Forever Young. And if you go, knowing what you know about J.J. Abrams now, and you go back and you watch those two films, you're like, this is not the same guy. This you guy's going to direct Star Trek. This guy's going to direct Star Wars. <laughs> uh, yeah, and probably shouldn't have been allowed to direct either. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Come at me. The um, <laughs> the thing is, though, is that... uh. His work on this is kind of probably where he he started making that turn into where he would eventually go. Since you mentioned him being more chick flicky, I think that's kind of why they got him in because to do the romance part of this story. Yeah, there is that that Liv Tyler Ben Affleck part of this story that is definitely trying to be sort of chick flicky and that is not what michael bay does michael bay's idea of a love story is hot girl bends over and guy looks and love (laughs) well yeah you can definitely tell which part of this is the jj abrams part i think and which part of this is the michael bay part i'm still trying to find which part is jerry bruckheimer part Well, Jerry Bruckheimer part is the, oh, you want to blow something up? Here's money. Go. That's the Jerry Bruckheimer part. Uh. The the bit that is Michael Bay is very much the, like, very bro-y humor part. Mm. And the very much, there's one chick on the mission, and the only thing she gets to do is be shoved aside by crazy Russian guy. Who proves he knows her job better than she does. That's Michael Bay. Mm. Like, I guarantee you Michael Bay wrote that part. And the weird cutesy bit with the with the strange uh, animal cracker thing in the sunlight near sunset. With the like very bad J. J. crocodile, crocodile yeah. very bad crocodile hunter impression. Yeah, that that's got to be JJ Abrams. Because <laughs> that's that's JJ Abrams being directed by Michael Bay. Because it's like, well, you can see skin on the girl, and there's too little lens flare for it to be JJ Abrams. But the dialogue's kind of sappy and weird. Mm. So, like, that that definitely strikes me as J.J. Abrams trying to be chick flicky and Michael Bay going, like, but the girl needs to be hot, right? Like, so there's something interesting in the scene? Like, that... <laughs> that seems like... Like, it's too talky for Michael Bay, but it's too... 
broy for JJ Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird mashup. I think that's why that scene gets parodied so often is because it it's just or at least at the time that was probably the most parodied scene in this film. Um and I think it's just because it's such a bizarre mashup of those two guys sensibilities. Mm. So uh the the big joke about the the film of course is always that the the major premise of it is you've got to you know you've got to send a bunch of people up to the asteroid to drill a hole and instead of using astronauts that have trained for years to go up in space and work all sorts of equipment because if you don't know anything about the space program astronauts are trained on a wide variety of equipment and how to work it in zero G or low gravity and all sorts of really stressful conditions. But instead they go, well, drilling is more of an art than a science. So we've got to pull some guys off an oil rig and teach them how to be astronauts. Cause obviously the astronaut part is the easy part and the drilling is the hard part. It's easier to teach a driller to be an astronaut than an astronaut to be a driller. Yeah, and um, apparently if you watch the the commentary for this movie, Ben Affleck says that when they were making the movie, like as they, as they began making the movie, he did go to Michael Bay and say, why is it easier for them to teach a bunch of guys how to be astronauts, then teach astronauts how to drill a rock once they get up there. And Michael Bay said, shut the fuck up. And that was the end of the conversation. It's like Harrison Ford questioning uh, Mark Hamill about Star Wars. Like, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just... Uh, so at least the people working on the movie at least some of the actors working on the movie were aware of how dumb this movie was unfortunately nobody in charge of this movie was willing to <laughs> to deal with that so if you as an audience member are asking that question at least know that uh, the people on on the movie were asking it too just not anybody with the authority to uh, make a better script <laughs> It's just, you know, and there's Eisner probably sitting back there. I'm going to make so much money off this movie. And they did because it was the highest grossing film of 1998. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, not, not, not everything is great. I mean, the thing about these movies is we're, we're kind of discovering that with the disaster genre, they're not good movies, but boy, do they make a lot of money. There's, it's the spectacle. It's, you know, the summer blockbuster. And this it's the summer blockbuster in the worst sense of that. Because not all summer blockbuster movies are bad movies. I mean, arguably the first big summer blockbuster, which most people would say is Jaws. I mean, that was really the thing that ushered in i would say that's an incredibly well crafted and well plotted movie but that is not true of all summer blockbusters 
Some would say that about the Marvel films, too, but, you know, to each their own. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what Marvel film, but, I, you know, I will and have definitely stood up for some of them, and there are some of them I have not stood up for. So, you know, mm. it it really d- depends on, on the film. The thing is, is that the very next year would give us The Matrix as the big blockbuster film. Yeah. Which I would stand up for as an incredibly great movie and also an incredibly great, you know, action film. So I think you can have both spectacle and deep thought. This movie has one of those two things. (laughs) (laughs) Guess which one it is. It's a movie done by Michael Bay, and I'm not sure Michael Bay has ever done a film that I I really do think meets the the deep thought thing, you know. Eh, he tries, he tries, and it just comes off as hollow. I mean, M- Michael Bay has remade a mystery science theater three thousand movie. Not that he'll admit to it, but he's done it. Seriously, the movie is called The Island. It's a remake of a movie called Parts of Clonus Horror. They won't admit to it. There was a lawsuit. They paid off the original film. But yeah, that it's there we go. Uh, <laughs> go look that up. It's super fun in uh, the way that it isn't. Much like the... Films we talked about in the 70s, this one is another one that just shoves a lot of stars in it. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Billy Bob Thornton, Steve Buscemi, a.k.a. Hey, it's that guy. Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan. These are people you know. <laughs> I mean, Jason Isaacs is in this. Yeah. Um, we've also got a... Uh, a kind of blinking you'll miss it cameo by Eddie Griffin, you know, so there's your comedian in here for a few seconds. Um, if you like really weird art films, Udo Kier is in this for no reason at all. I mean, that is a, that is a weird deep cut. Do not know why he is, he is in here. But I guess if uh, Werner Herzog can be in Star Wars, Udo Kier can be in Michael Bay movies. And a really good role from uh, Keith David. Yeah. Yeah, Keith David, really good role in here. And the, at least to me, the most head-scratching role of all, Charlton Heston as the narrator? Yeah, this movie starts with the most WTF thing. I mean, and in Michael Bay's career, that's saying a lot because Michael Bay has put a lot of WTF things in his movies. But this movie starts with just a random narration of how the dinosaurs died. Yeah, it makes no sense in the film. Like, if it was like an educational video that. Like, we get this, and it turns out it's an educational video somewhere. Yes, like somebody's sense. watching it in a museum, and then they go like, oh, and if you turn to your right, you'll see a, you know, a skeleton of a T-Rex or something. Yeah. This was only a couple of years after the Jurassic Park movies. 
it, it could have been a tie-in. You know, everybody was still dino crazy at the time. Arguably still is. You know, it, it would have fit. Like, you would have been like, oh, look, there's, you know, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck on a date to a museum to see a dinosaur. And now we're going to go back to the rig and drill oil out of the ground. That's arguably a better through line than anything in this movie. But no, it's just, here's here's a little primer on how the dinosaurs died. And then it goes 65 million years later. And then we just start the movie proper. It doesn't feel like like the only reason Michael Bay had him in the movie was because of Planet of the Apes connection. Because he, I think he just wanted to be like, I want to say I did a movie with Charlton Heston. Mm. Like it feels like just an ego boost. Like I had the opportunity to do it, so I did it. I need someone with a recognizable yet commanding voice to be my narrator, Charlton Heston. I mean, he already had Keith David in the movie. I don't really... I know, right? You have (laughs) Keith David! Have him be the freaking narrator. Or Michael Clark Duncan. Or Jason Isaacs, really. Like, he's got got an amazing voice. Or freaking Bruce Willis. Or even Udo Kier. Have you heard that man's voice? Like, he's got a... He's got an interesting voice. Like, the thing is, though, is that there is no reason for that to be in the movie, and yet that's how we start the movie, and it's so inexplicable, and it's been so long since I've seen this movie. It may be one of those things that gets cut out a lot on TV, because sometimes I would just watch this on TV, because it was like, eh, it's the only thing on, and I'm bored, you know, because I don't think I've seen this movie since streaming services were a thing, mm. so... I think the last time I saw this movie, it was just, it was on a cable channel and I was bored and there was nothing preferable on. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever seen the first half hour of this movie. (laughs) Not much happens except for like some stuff blowing up. I mean, plot wise, really nothing happens. Because it's always been, oh, I'm again at TV. I I, I didn't see that movie. I'm going to watch that movie. I, I didn't see it in the theater. So, I mean, I'll just watch this. Oh, then... I did for my sins. I did because I'm such a I'm such a goofball nut for disaster films, and I was <laughs> like, oh yay, another disaster film! I just saw Deep Impact. I loved that. Here's another asteroid movie. I'm gonna watch that. Oh, this isn't nearly as good. <laughs> <laughs> we get the intro, all that you know. This giant asteroid hit Earth covered the world in ash and led to the Ice Age, or whatever they say in there. Which is supposed to be the setup for the plot of this movie, which is, giant asteroid is heading towards Earth. It's knocking out meteors, which are knocking into the Earth, causing destruction. This well, is nice. This is I nice. love... I love how I love how little faith this this opening shows that Michael Bay has in his audience. Like, he has so little faith in the audience that he thinks we have to give them a primer on that asteroid hitting Earth would be bad because they're too dumb to know that on their own. I mean, have you seen the Transformers movies? (laughs) Well, yeah, I know, but he hadn't done those by this point. Like, this was before that. So... 
I just love that this shows how dumb he thinks his audience is. Like, I'm pretty sure that by the age of four or five, every kid goes like, oh, big rock hitting Earth, bad idea, you know? But he has to be like, let me show you an educational thing, kids, that, like, yeah, we all know. And most other movies that deal with asteroid impact wiping out all life on Earth, potentially, just kind of have a character say it to a dumb character in the movie. Like, the president being like, hey, let's just go deep underground. They'd be like, no, we'd have to spend like 115 years underground before all the ash would clear from the air or something. You know? Like, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. But no, like, Michael Bay is like, no, our audience is obviously too dumb to understand this without a Charlton Heston <laughs> educational short film about the dinosaurs at the beginning of my movie. I, I, I love that. I love that that's how dumb he thinks you are as, as a film goer. But the intro with the meteorites hitting the astronauts after repairing the satellite, destroying the, the, the ship, just everybody dies, bam, bam, bam. And then all of the meteorites conveniently hit 1998 New York City just a few years before. Yeah. And in fact, after, after 2001, you know, like after that year, it gets edited for TV play. At least it's because there's at, at the end of the meteor strike, there is a shot of the Twin Towers destroyed by the meteor strike. Yeah, and also after the, I want to say it was the Columbia space shuttle disaster. I think that was the, the correct one. That they also edited some of the, the shots of, of that, maybe. But yeah, one one of the one of the shuttle disasters, I think they they took a couple of the the more brutal shots because that that happened in '03, I think. Also, because some of those shots were shared on the internet as part of like a oh look here's some of the shots from the Columbia disaster. And they were part of an internet hoax. And so I think after that, they edited them out from broadcasts uh, for a while. They may have put them back in later, but out of sensitivity, I think they took some of the more gruesome uh, ones out for a while. And they stopped showing the film for a while after the Columbia disaster to not, you know, trigger people. Mm. Uh, because of that scene, uh, so it was it was taken out of rotation on some of the the cable channels. The thing is, is that there are some some really good effect shots in this, but also because we've now gotten out of the age of all practical shots and we're getting more into the digital age 
and into the early digital age, because this is 98, not a lot of them are holding up so well. Yeah, I noticed a lot of the, especially, at least for me, shots of the shuttles flying, and especially this, for some reason, every time we cut to the asteroid, this big shot of space through this cloud of the, the asteroid and all that. Yeah, and and also a lot of the the actual disaster moments when you get the impacts of the smaller meteoroids hitting Earth, because the most of the disaster shots are not necessarily, of course, the big asteroid, but the, the small idea, meteorites. Yeah, yeah, the idea that it hit the asteroid belt. Uh, between the planets and it has sent smaller debris ahead of it um, and that's how we discovered because they rather correctly say that we only are able to monitor a certain portion of the sky yeah, they, they they there's a there's a bold meaning. They say, well, you cut our budget so we can only scan three percent of the sky, and there's a lot more sky than that we can't see. And that that's a rather pointed line, but it's it's not entirely inaccurate. Although some of it is just technology. Yeah, you know, I mean, space is incredibly vast and. Despite the fact that they say that this asteroid is the size of Texas, the largest that we've ever detected that could potentially impact Earth is like, I don't know, five five miles or less in diameter, I think, which is, you know, not nearly as big as Texas, let's just say that. Um, which, when you're looking at the vastness of the night sky, at a thing that has no lights on it and does not give any illumination of its own, that's that's not a big target, comparatively. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we could miss something like this until it is relatively close to us, pretty dang easy, all right? It's not out of the out of the realm of of possibility there, but also space is very, very fast and things are whizzing by us all the time. And comparatively, there are much larger things in the solar system to gravitationally attract an asteroid, you know, Hmm. than the earth. So, um, it's not one of those things I personally really stay up all night concerned about. Um, I mean, it seems like at least once a year we get a report of giant asteroid could be in Earth's vicinity within this, this, and this. But also, it's like, universally speaking, vicinity is a very large area. You know, the way the way that the media reports on that is like, oh, an object is in Earth's vicinity. And then you're like, well, how close is that? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to miss us by like 
you know, six billion miles or something like that. You're like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I'm just saying maybe when you see a headline like that, read beyond the headline and then you'll go like, oh, it's going to miss us beyond the distance of the moon. You know, it's like vicinity, cosmically speaking, is a very nebulous <laughs> amount of distance, you know? You know, I watched them recently, since we're talking about this, I watched them do the thing where they crashed the thing into the little asteroid to test out if we could deflect the the angle of the... And it was, it was fun, it was interesting... They did that as a test of, hey, if one day one of these things starts coming near us, could we pull off one of these Armageddon-type scenarios and crash something into an asteroid? And, you know, turns out we can, you know, we can send an unmanned thing and crash something into it and deflect it gravitationally a bit. I mean, it worked. It was neat to watch. Cool. We did it. So, turns out that with enough leave time, we'd probably be able to deflect one of these things with the technology we have now. Cool. Neat. Mm. But that's not a terribly interesting movie because I watched that feed from NASA TV live and it was kind of just a bunch of people sitting in a room going... We're waiting for contact. Waiting for contact. And we have contact! All right! And in about two weeks, we'll let you know what the uh, trajectory shift was. See you back on NASA TV then. Thanks, folks. Goodbye. (laughs) That is not a very interesting movie. (laughs) Yeah, so the actual side, but you know, we we gotta spice it up. We gotta... Yeah, Michael Bay spices it up by having, you know, Liv Tyler looking hot and uh, lots of things going boom. So, uh, so yeah, let's let's kind of uh, let's kind of focus on our quote main characters here, especially the introduction to to Bruce Willis's character Harry Stamper. Because how do we introduce him? He's on an oil rig. Hitting golf balls at protesters. So already you know that this guy is quality. And then the next thing he does is try to kill his grown daughter's boyfriend. So already you know he's double quality. He finds out that his daughter is sleeping with one of his employees. And get the shotgun. The old trope of daddy get the shotgun. And I will point out that this is not his, like, teenage daughter or underage daughter, which might be a thing. I mean, I could see maybe going after that if it was like, oh, that is my 14-year-old daughter and you are my 27-year-old employee. Maybe I could I could understand him chasing that guy then. But, uh, no... She is a fully grown woman who also works for the corporation as a translator. Yeah, so this isn't a kid. This is an actual employee of the company. Because the the, the oil rig is just off the coast of China. And they have to deal with their their Chinese uh, em, uh, employers. 
yeah, she they have clients that come to the oil rig on a helicopter and she greets them as a translator and businesswoman negotiating business and apparently very well in professional dress. Mm -hmm. And they defer to her as a businesswoman. They never give her exact age, but it seems to be somewhere in her mid-20s, maybe late 20s, I don't know. Roughly the same age as Ben Affleck, who also seems to be somewhere in his mid to late 20s. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, two grown-ass adults who just happen to be having a relationship and apparently have been having a relationship for several months at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and his response is... Potentially deadly violence in the middle of the ocean that almost wrecks not only a human life, but the actual, like, platform they're on, because he starts destroying equipment as well with a shotgun. And he doesn't even seem to be a good father at all, because we go through the whole thing of, we have Liv Tyler as Gray Stamper, the daughter... And she's going, yeah, you know, you weren't there when mom left. You, when, when I had my first period, I had to ask one of the other guys how tampons work. And he's almost trying to kill his, his other employees for that. Yeah, she, she talks about all the things the other men on the rig have taught her because they were her surrogate fathers because her actual father kind of dropped the ball. And this it, and, this and, comes and, back later as they all say things like, well, you know, we, we love her, too, because we all feel like we're her fathers as well. And, you know, we raised her just as much as you did. Yeah, we're all her family and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Michael Clark Dungan has that great line. We're all a bunch of daddies here. Yeah, which they try to pass off as sweet, but it, and maybe, but also like. Not that kind of daddy. This is your hero? Like, this is the guy you want me to root for? Yeah, This yeah. is how you introduce him. Though, I mean, considering Michael Bay's other movies that feature Oh, yeah, no, this dynamics. is totally in line with Michael Bay. Like, I can see that this is Michael Bay's morality, but, yeah. you know. Uh, so, so after all of this, after the shotgun, after the... the uh, Everything else, all after all of this, we find that the U.S. government, NASA, is going to be recruiting. Oh, yeah, uh, Bruce Willis here, because uh, they stole his design for his oil rig to make a drill for space, and they put it together wrong. So they need him to come in and put it together right, which he's not very happy with. Like, Did you just go to the patent office and steal my design? Yeah, that's exactly what we did with the government. Which, I mean, to to be fair. <laughs> like... So, and of course, this is where this is where we get the actual plot of this in that Bruce Willis is not going to fix he's only going to fix it if he gets to do the job himself. And he's not going to do the job himself unless he uses his team from the oil rig. And considering that the giant asteroid the size of Texas is going to hit Earth in 15 days. They have little option. This is another one of those things that comes up frequently in Michael Bay movies is that he can't decide whether he wants to say that 
smart people are good or smart people are bad. Also, seemingly can't decide is it rah-rah government or government is evil. Well, it's definitely government bad, military yay in a, in a Michael Bay movie. If you film inside the U.S. and you want to use any sort of military equipment, you know, if you want to have those shots of the jets flying overhead or, you know, any of that kind of stuff that he likes to use, if you if you want them to do, like, a flyover for you or anything, you have to submit your script to the U.S. government and they have to approve it. And if they don't approve it, you don't get to use the sweet jets and whatever. I mean, Marvel has to go through the same thing. Yeah, and that's that's why there's always, like, a very weird part in the Marvel movies where it's like, you know, you have the, the thing, you know, where it's like, well, I'm not sure I can be a black man serving as Captain America. Yes, I can! Yay, government! <laughs> like, <laughs> Because, like, it kind of has to end up that way if you want to use those sweet, sweet looking, you know, jets and tanks and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you can you can have them question, but the answer at the end always has to be yes. It's kind of like, well, the politicians are always bad, but the military guys, you know, that, and that's always always how it's going to be in in that type of movie. Um, if you want to use that type of equipment, that's kind of the the best he can. Uh, I don't want to say that's the best he can do, but that's kind of where it's going to fall. So you see it kind of in all of those kind of movies. There's always like every every one of his his movies, you know, Transformers is like that too. It's always like the government is up to to shady stuff, but when the military shows up, you know, it's like um it's it's always like that. So the thing about it is that in this one when uh, Bruce Willis shows up and he discovers like, okay, you know, you stole my my thing and immediately NASA, you know, at in the guise of Billy Bob Thornton, you know, who's being the director of NASA and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so Billy Bob Thornton says to Bruce Willis, like, we need you to help us repair this drill and we need you to teach all of these astronauts to use it and Bruce Willis immediately says like well I can't do that because drilling is like an art form and all that kind of stuff and you gotta like feel your way into it and you know all this kind of stuff and there is an an interesting thing because I will never discount that most professions do have that sort of thing to them. You know, there's just a certain kind of on-the-job experience that you will never be able to teach in theory. So it's not that Bruce Willis is wrong. But there are a lot of things that are glossed over in this for the sake of the 
rah rah everyman. Yeah. And also, it's a movie. We got to get this done in two hours or two and a half hours by this movie's runtime. Well, yeah, this is a kind of longer movie at two and a half hours. But this is one of those things that Michael Bay is is kind of known for in his films. And and we saw it in the Poseidon Adventure as well, that there are people who are experts at a certain thing. And then it's like, well, you know. But I'm some guy. Let me tell you how to let me tell you how to do it. This is slightly different in the fact that Bruce Willis is the expert at this one specific thing. And you could kind of mitigate that by having a mix, you know, a better mix of astronauts and drillers, you know. But in the end, we end up with like, well, we got the people who are going to fly the shuttle and then everybody else are going to be drillers. It's, you know, which... It's very convenient that we both have Steve Buscemi and Owen Wilson, who are genius geologists, who just happen to work on an oil rig. Well, I mean, you you do need people who know geology. I mean, that's that's not like. But, but it's 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 when when Steve Buscemi goes over all of his degrees and I taught at this school and I do this and I do that. Like, like the dude could have been made in the shade doing any of those things as a full profession, but no, I'm going to work on an oil rig because it's not boring. Well, I think the other thing that they didn't say is, um, you just said he could have had it made in the shade at the, but what he said he did before was, uh, academics. Mm-hmm. Academics don't pay that well. People forget that. So, uh, as I'm talking <laughs> to someone in the field of academics. <laughs> um, so uh, th- there are a couple of positions in academia that will pay very well if you are lucky to get into them. And th- th- uh, that th- that's fine. And- but but mo- most most positions in academia do not pay all that well even if you've got lots and lots of degrees. And so it's very possible that Steve Buscemi's character just goes, yeah, there are a lot of things I could be doing with these degrees in academia, but I could be making six times the amount of money working for you know, the private sector on some oil rig somewhere. And also it's a little more interesting and I don't have to grade papers. <laughs> you know, like there's also some 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 off there's also some lines in the movie that imply that all of the men that on Bruce Willis's team are criminals or at least have criminal records. And even and even Steve Buscemi said, hey, 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 I didn't know how old she was. <laughs> Which is a really unfortunate joke that keeps showing up in Michael Bay movies. I'm just gonna... Just the, gonna yeah. the, peak, the peak was in the one Transformer movie with the Romeo and Juliet law. Yeah, that's... That's just... Yeah. 
<sighs> and the fact that he does the joke twice in the in the movie, because he goes, you know, to when when NASA shows up and says he thinks it's the feds. I didn't know how old she was. And then she's he's in the bar trying to pick up a girl, and then the feds show up again. I don't know. I how old are you yeah. again? <laughs> yeah. But the the thing is, is that I I did I did like the joke of him realizing that the woman's engagement ring was not, not real, not an actual diamond, because of his you know his degrees. Yeah, he would his know. degrees. But the thing is that when they're going through Udo Kier's psychological tests, is a bit funny. Uh, not all the jokes, because some of them are not not aged well. Not that they were really that great at the time, but they've definitely not aged well. But they're supposed to be, you know, being screened for how well they will take the pressures of space. It is a bit funny, if you know anything about Udo Kier's career, uh, to see him playing that psychologist. And then they're like, well... Like, did they go bonkers because they were all bonkers before, or did just like putting them in that weird room with Hudo Kier drive them bonkers? <laughs> um, either or, the thing about it is, though, is that they are not fit to go up, probably also because. They've been isolated on this rig for a long time. And you see how they act when they go back into society. I mean, even Bruce Willis said the minute he left the rig, they all scattered. Because the boss was gone, so they can do whatever they want. So there's that whole montage of hunting them down across the country. They don't seem to integrate well into society and all and you also see that, you know, the same thing with the the Russian that's left up on Mir by himself for... Two years, yeah. For so long. Which is not a thing I think they ever did. I don't think they've ever left anyone up in space alone that long. Um, mostly because there is so much that you constantly need to check in space that I'm not sure they ever leave anybody like not monitoring things like I think there's always like a constant watch in space just in case something goes wrong so I don't think there's ever a point where everybody on a space mission is asleep at the same time, so I don't think they would have ever put anybody up there alone. And I don't think they ever have. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think it's ever happened. So, there have, of course, been people that have been up there for longer than, uh, for a long period of time. Um, but they've always had other people with them. But yeah, they, they all fail every test imaginable, because of course they will. But they get approved anyway because, again, they have little option. I mean, it attempts to be funny. I mean, the only part was that I thought was really funny was, like, Michael Clark Duncan just stripping down when 
when it was time for his physical and just gyrating because he's at least having fun with this. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, like okay, at least he's having, at least he's having fun doing this thing. Yeah, I mean, once again, it's a very kind of broy humor, which is not always my kind of humor. So I don't, I don't know. know. It's one of those things that, like, I can see why people would laugh at it. It's just not my thing. And the um, fact that there's a lot of the stuff that happens that is part of the bro humor that become plot points later on. Like uh, the guys are talking to how about the female astronaut that's training them is hot. And she says, if you know, if you're not tethered down, if I kick you in the balls in space, you'll just keep lying. Which comes back later as a plot point. Yeah, that's true. And... Of course, the the biggest one, the biggest plot point, definitely following rule of three is AJ, Ben Affleck's kind of gut feelings. Because we see him right at the beginning that they're drilling and they're telling him, hey, you, you need to slow down. You need to stop the drill before you hurt someone. Then, I, got, I got it. I got it. I can do it. And they eventually strike oil to which Bruce Willis fires the guy. Because he didn't listen to his boss's instructions. And his recklessness kind of starts a bit of a fire on the rig. Even though they they struck oil. And oil and fire do not go well together. Yeah. And then oh. second, and the second time this comes back is whether when they're with the training drill. And he says, I can do it. I can do it. Hey, hey, the, the computer says you're, you're overloading it. Stop. And he says, I got it. I got it. The computer is wrong. The computer is wrong. I can do it. And then, of course, the final time when they're on the rock. Well, yeah. And it's it's one of those of like, it's part of the you have to listen to the some guy. Yeah. Rah, rah, every man. I get it. Yeah. And because it's the thing of. Bruce Willis is the expert, arguably, at the beginning of the movie. And that's why I said you can forgive it when Bruce Willis says certain things because he is arguably the expert in that one field. The, you know, Ben Affleck character is not the expert. He's the new guy. And he's the the young guy and he's the, you know... And then the the movie has to do the, like, well, you know, no, you got to listen to me, old man, because I'm the, I'm the young guy who, you know, knows all the things, and you're the, you know, the old has to make way for the new, and the new really, really understands what it's talking about better, because it just has the, the, the vibes, you know, it's like. And he just happens to be the daughter's boyfriend. Yeah. It can't decide in a lot of ways like which which way it wants to go do we defer to bruce willis in the movie because he's you know when when they say train the astronauts and he goes no you have to trust me because i'm the guy who's the expert and when they get up there they're not going to know what they're doing because i'm the one with the experience and so when something goes wrong i'm just going to know how to feel my way through it or what you know 
But then when he uses all of his experience to say, no, this is going wrong. We just lost a guy to doing the exact same thing you're doing. Then do we defer to Ben Affleck, who just, like, has the vibes and the youth and the machismo? Like, which way do you want it? And this movie seems to want it both ways. Yeah. It's the same thing you said about, like, well, is the government the bad guy? Or is the government the good guy with the military? Or is the government, you know. So we have their plan, all right? So they have the plan here, and... Go up to the to the rock, blow it up with a bomb, come back, yay! But there's also a as they kind of mentioned this very early in in the movie is that at NASA at the U.S. government we always have backup plans for everything. So they I mean that's why they're sending two teams on two shuttles with two drills and two you know is like if something happens to one we've got a backup if something happens to one drill armadillo thing we've got another drill armadillo thing you know and we also have replacement drills in case one breaks replacement bombs replacement yeah i mean they've yeah. got everything yeah so they're up there and they're running out of time we're fa- we're kind of skipping ahead in the movie but they're running out of time this movie does not have a lot of plot. <laughs> well, we are skipping ahead here. They're skipping, um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're running out of time, and the president makes the call to activate the bomb early. Thinking that, well, it may not completely destroy the, the asteroid, but at least there's a chance. So they, the president uses his power to override NASA, activate the bomb early, activate the countdown, and it'll just blow. And if they're not out of there by then, oh well, at least the Earth has some chance of survival. Well, the guys at NASA, here's another thing of here, of do we listen to the experts or are the experts bad? Or NASA saying, if you blow up this bomb before they finish drilling, it's not going to do anything to the asteroid. Yeah, because the whole point of drilling is you've got to put it deep enough into the asteroid that it'll break the asteroid apart, and the two pieces will deflect and go around the Earth instead of crash into the Earth. That's the whole point of drilling in the first place. If you just fly up there with a bomb and detonate it on the surface, it's just going to make pretty fireworks, according to the movie. Um, Maybe you'll, you know, put a a dent in the outside of it but you're not going to actually deflect it enough or break it apart enough that it will save the earth so that's why they have to do this precise drilling and break it apart before a certain time they've got a a red line where they have to break it apart before that time or else it's not going to be able to deflect enough you know there's all these these bits to the plan Gotta love um, a ticking clock in these in these disaster movies. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And the thing is, is that they've they've they lose one ship upon approach after a disastrous little bit where they head to Space Station Mir, which was still in operation at the time of this movie, and meet this Russian cosmonaut that has been left up there by himself. The funny thing is, is that I love how 
poorly they deal with the fact that uh, there is microgravity in space. Mm. Like, they didn't want to film any any quote-unquote weightless scenes. So they always come up with reasons for there to be some sort of gravity. So now we're going to rotate mirrors so that we we have some sort of gravity because the, the astronaut drillers did not have time to practice a lot in microgravity, you know, weightless conditions so that they were simulating gravity so that we don't have to film. <laughs> Because they don't want to do the wire work, apparently. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to do wire work or put everybody on the vomit comet. So. And they even say that the rock is big enough that you'll have gravity on the rock on the asteroid. Well, and also they say that their their suits have thrusters in them to keep them weighted and all this kind of stuff as well. So, like, basically, there's going to be gravity. Don't worry about it. Uh, and they always make sure that basically anywhere they are in space is pressurized and has its own atmosphere so that they never have to really wear their helmets. Because you need to see these actors' faces. Yeah. The crap hits the fan when they get to the, the, the space station because the fuel lines have holes in them as they're refueling the rockets to make the big trip. The fuel leaks, it starts to fire, and the entire space station goes boom. Well, the thing is, is that Michael Bay movies are not always the the most sensitive to other nations, let's just say. Plus, you have, plus it's the rah-rah America vibe of Michael Bay movies. Well, yeah. So, when they get to Mir, it is... There is one guy who has been left alone with a bunch of rather failing parts. M Mir, uh, it wasn't like the international space station is, but there there were other nations that sent astronauts to the the station um and by all accounts it was decently well maintained i mean you know it it seemed it seemed to be fairly functional until the program was abandoned and it was left to decommission uh and fall into uh orbit at least it it seemed as at least well maintained as the 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 NASA stuff as far as we can tell. So I I don't this this seems ridiculous to me that there's just this one guy on Mir and Mir is just his whole plot line is let's show you how we do it on Russian space station bang 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 you know it's like. I mean, he, well, yeah, Peter Stormare, who plays the the Russian cosmonaut, at least he has some good lines. Like, you know, like, um, American parts, Russian parts, they're all made in Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, which is more realistic a, a line, honestly, but it's it's a bit of, 
like, at least that kind of admits it's more propagandistic, but it's such a bizarre thing to me of why, 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 I don't know. The thing, though, is that, um, I, I kind of, I kind of hate this whole part of the film where they, they go to the space station and it's just like one bonkers guy who's been left there too long. Uh, not that I'm really blaming the guy, you know, anybody left in isolation for a while, you know, I feel bad for, but you know, they get there and, uh, he's suffering from being on his own for too long and failing, uh, conditions. I think that it's just to set up what happens later with Steve Buscemi's character. And also it's to add in another complication, but it just seems like bad writing to me. And also just a joke of like, well, you know, it, it's such a Yakov Smirnoff joke, you know, it's like, well, in Soviet Russia, you know, the, the space station blows up on you or something. You know, it's like, it's such a, just a bad joke at this point. And I kind of wanted to go like, really? That's, you know, I don't know. But so because of the, the stuff that goes wrong with Mir, and of course Mir is destroyed and it almost takes out. Almost kills Ben Affleck. Yeah, almost kills Ben Affleck, but Ben Affleck and the uh, Russian cosmonaut are able to escape. uh, Through the power of plot armor. (laughs) Yeah, the power of plot armor saves them. And they're able to get on board the second non-Bruce Willis shuttle, the Independence. And they make it to the asteroid, but the Independence is destroyed. And it falls to the asteroid, and everybody dies. Poor Owen Wilson. Uh, Yeah, Owen Wilson's dead, but Michael Clark Duncan survives. Ben Affleck survives. uh, Peter Stormare survives. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. So anybody else on that? And I think the the only the only person from the the main cast that was on that one was Owen Wilson that got killed because he's like the only one that they bothered to be sad about. He's the only one that didn't have a story before going into space because I want to backtrack just a bit because we have our main characters that have stories. Yes, we have Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, but we also have Steve Buscemi's story of Getting, you know, he's going to be up to space. He does not think this is going to work. That is a run through through his entire movie. His character does not think this this whole thing is going to work. So he gets like millions of dollars from a loan shark, spends it on at a strip club. And then his thing with the stripper. And then you get. um, Yeah, Will Will Patton's storyline with his ex-wife and the son he never knew. Yeah. And, you know, Michael Clark Duncan is very, he's kind of anti-establishment and all, but he's real sweet inside. And With the doctor, he's just breaking down because of all of the 
questions asked him because he's very emotional. He's a big, strong, beefy guy, but he has a heart. Yeah, um, Ken Campbell's character, who we haven't really talked about, Max, uh, he he loves his mother uh, and keeps getting tattoos, you know, for her and everything. Owen and, Wilson is just addicted to gambling. That's the only character trait we see. No, I thought I thought Owen Wilson was the one that had a ranch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the ranch. Yeah, Owen Wilson isn't the gambler. The other guy's the gambler. Yeah. See, Owen yeah. Wilson's character has so little backstory, you can get him mixed up. Yeah. That that's how little backstory they give Owen Wilson. He is I do not even remember seeing him on the rig prior to Do you? No, I don't remember. I don't remember him being on the oil rig before they start rounding people up. And then she and then Liv Tyler's just like, hey, why don't we get Owen Wilson? And they're like, yeah, Owen Wilson. And then they're like, he's got a horse ranch. And then you see, like, Owen Wilson, like, on a horse. And I they're like... like I, that, that sounds like something that's a, a prerequisite for this movie. Like, I want to ride a horse. It's in space. I want to ride a horse. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Because I was like, I had forgotten he was in this movie. And then at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, he's going to be one of the one of the dudes on the oil rig. And so I was looking for him. And I do not remember seeing him in that opening. So, like, I was looking for him in the opening scenes. And I, I was like, where's Owen Wilson in this movie? And then Liv Tyler's like, yeah, go find, the, go find Owen Wilson. He's got a horse ranch. And then I was like, oh. There, did I miss him in the? And it's possible I did, but it's Owen Wilson. It's like he's pretty recognizable, and neither of us really remember seeing him. And I'm pretty sure both of us were looking for him. So, did his scenes just get cut out of that opening part, or was he just never there? And they were like, "Yeah, and we need another guy. Go get Owen Wilson." Like, yeah. <laughs> And even Billy Bob Thorne kind of has a story because uh, there's that heart-to-heart -heart that Bruce Willis has with him. Is like he's always wanted to go over to space, but he's never been there. He just watches other people go to space. So yeah. Just, there's that. There's that thing, and that then there's the payoff at the end with that. But uh, so yeah, the plan is they're going to fuel up at the Russian space station that went south. Going to use the use the moon's gravitational pull to make a U-turn around it and get the asteroid from the back. And that goes bad. Well, they're hoping that the gravity of the moon is going to clear the debris from the tail of the comet, and it, it turns out it doesn't. <laughs> and so that's what ends up destroying the independence and killing Owen Wilson, who has such an incredible backstory in this film as we've just discussed <laughs> his character is so deep and thorough in this movie um so yeah and and because of all of this bruce willis's rocket lands off target and instead of landing at the landing site that they were aiming for which is supposed to be one of the softest spots on the rock with the easiest geology to dig through they ended up landing straight on a plate of iron so it's just solid metal thank you steve for telling us that 
Yep. Well, I mean, he's the geologist. <laughs> yeah. So and they and they, they do get a little alien in here because they mention you know it's iron quote quote, but Bruce Willis says it's the kind of metal I've never seen before. Well, it is you know an extraterrestrial object. And possibly even an extra galactic object, you know? We don't know where the the asteroid actually came from. It's the remnants of Alderaan. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Finally made it to this galaxy. <laughs> well, it was a long time ago. <laughs> they start drilling because they, they're just like, well, everybody on that other shuttlecraft is totally dead, so... and. There is a long portion of this movie that's just Liv Tyler wandering around NASA looking very sad. Way too much time is spent on that. Just just going to say that. Got to push that love story. You know, we've got one little bit where, yeah, the three survivors from the one uh, ship are in their little... They call them armadillos, but in their little, you know... Mars rover things. <laughs> yeah, Mars rover things. And uh, trying to make it to the little blinking dot that is Bruce Willis and his crew. I mean, we get a little bit of uh, comedy from Ben Affleck. Like, I don't know how any of this works. I see a blinking light. I gotta go towards the blinking light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they use the, the low gravity to do a sweet jump. And almost fly off into space because things don't work and the Russian has to bang on things, which is his entire job is, I gotta bang on things and then I mean, things work again. The joke of hit it and it'll work, you can pull that joke off in an action movie once. I he mean, does it three times. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that it it can be funny if it's done right, the problem is, is that I'm not sure Michael Bay has ever done comedy correctly in his entire career. Back to the Future is probably the best example of hit it and it'll work. Because, you know, he's there. The The battery dies. He's there. He's trying to get there. He's frustrated. And he gets bangs on the dash. And then the car comes to life. That's a funny bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all down to timing and, and everything. It's just I've I've never found Michael Bay particularly that skilled at it. Mm. And I think this movie is is just another one of those where it just it kind of never. It goes on a bit too long for me and, mm. and things like that. It, it, it might just be me. If it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh. I can't I can't mm. argue with that. Mm. But, you know, the the sweet jump sequence is kind of cool and it's mm. filmed kind of neat and I like the you know that they're dragging the cosmonaut behind and he's screaming and you know that that's actually a bit funny to me mm -hmm. so that bit works so they, uh, the Bruce Willis team starts drilling because they don't really have a lot of options and due to the big due to that this chunk of the asteroid being mostly iron the drill breaks so new drill and then the transmission blows. So now we got to go inside and get a new transmission. And then we discover that the bomb has started ticking. Yeah, this was where we find out the backup plan to the backup plan. 
is that the president has ordered the bomb. This is goes back to what we were saying about a half an hour ago. <laughs> the bomb has started ticking. The president has ordered the bomb to go off, even though they haven't d- drilled the hole yet. The, and- the president is scared and desperate. And Billy Bob Thornton keeps saying, if you detonate it on the surface, it will not do anything. You have to let them drill. And using the the walkie-talkies there in NASA, Billy Bob Thornton tells this one guy, like, hey, kill the satellite uplink. And they're able to stop the bomb long enough for Bruce Willis to talk the, the colonel that's up there or has been sent on a mission that if the president overrides and decides to detonate the bomb early, it's your job to, you know, make sure it goes off. Basically, Bruce Willis is like, hey, you know, you're the you're the expert up here. They're way down there. You know, do it for your kids. Do it for your family and everything and talks them out of it. And we're back to listen to the experts and not some guy. And Bruce Willis is basically saying, you're the expert. He's just some guy. Don't listen to some guy. Listen to the expert. Hey, yeah, I mean, he's got a gun. They have a gun in space. And then Bruce Willis has that. It's a, it's a weird line, but some of the funny lines, like, what are you doing with a gun in space? And I want to talk for just a second about the guns in space, because there are multiple guns in space. Not only does he have a handgun in space, which is a dumb idea. But also, their little armadillo things has a real gun. Yeah, yeah, they have like they have like these really weird, like chain guns or something on them. Like I don't know what. Yeah, and Ben Affleck uses his to th- blow a hole in the side of the downed shuttlecraft to get out so they can escape. But then when Steve Buscemi loses his mind, he just starts using his to just, like, fire randomly on the surface of the asteroid. It just because, like, yay, big gun, and I've lost my mind, woohoo, and he starts destroying equipment. He has space madness. But also, why is that thing on there? Because, yes, it ends up useful for Ben Affleck and everything, but... Why is that on there? And also, I, I I don't know if a lot of people are entirely aware, but a lot of firearms require oxygen to fire, so they can't really be fired in low oxygen environments. This is why most space weapons are lasers in movies, to kind of yeah. cover up that. <laughs> yeah, um... And and I'm not saying that, like, you can't make a projectile weapon, though. It's also why projectile weapons are a bad idea in, in space. It's because, you know, if you poke a hole in your, in, 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 in your spaceship, you will um, de- depressurize and lose your oxygen, and then you will all die, which is a bad idea. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Just, you know, having a projectile weapon like that in space is a really, really dumb idea. 
So the fact that they gave him a weapon, uh, I'm not really necessarily going to say is wrong, but the fact that they gave him a projectile weapon that requires oxygen and could also destroy the entire ship if you don't immediately hit your target. And, you know, I mean, even if the bullet passed through the body and continued on, you're still going to have a bad time if it pierces the outside of the ship. You know what I'm saying? Like, why are those things even there at all? And is there enough... Like, so much wrong. So much wrong with that. Just gonna say. The funny thing is, though, is that, you know, you've got you got this thing where Bruce Willis is like, you know, don't listen to the president. The president's an idiot. Trust me. You know, the guy you, you just met. And he promises him that, like, you know, I'm gonna dig that hole. We're gonna save the planet and everything. But, of course, they lose poor Max and the... Yeah, because they try to drill again and then it just... Whatever. They hit a gas pocket and it explodes. Yeah. Um, and it launches the armadillo out into space and kills Max and... Hi, Max! <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Steve Buscemi <laughs> has totally lost his mind at that point, so he just kind of watches the thing go, bye, Max. Um, but of course, I mean, he's also at one point writing the bomb, like, uh, as he says, like in that movie. Yeah. Um, which, which he means Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but that of course happens to be exactly the point, uh, where, uh, Ben Affleck shows up with the other armadillo and the other drill and they immediately begin drilling the hole again. But, the only problem is is that now the bomb has another problem because a quote-unquote rock storm, which is just like debris that breaks off the asteroid, which also doesn't make sense. This part doesn't make sense either because it's just like bits of the asteroid start breaking off itself for no reason and there's showering this, There's them. this weird... The way it's the asteroid is framed between scenes and the dialogue during that storm is is Michael Bay trying to imply that this asteroid is sentient? Because Bruce Willis is like, you know, all oh, this damn rock or whatever, and then uh Colonel well, Sharp says says, Oh yeah, it knows you're trying to kill it. Like the asteroid has suddenly just become self-aware and is like, "Hey, get off my back! Why, why did you, you you stop drilling that hole?" Like, yeah, it's such a dumb line, but also this makes no sense. It's just yet another thing so that they can put to put in an, another hurdle to put in another, yeah. you know, another. Uh... Third act climax or whatever. It would have made more sense had what Steve Buscemi had been doing had damaged the bomb. Yes, shooting it wildly because... Yeah, shooting wildly and he, like, hit some piece of equipment that ricocheted and that damaged the bomb. And, of course, here we get the payoff of, of Ben Affleck's entire thing of his gut feeling being right in that 
I'm right, the computer is wrong, let me drill, let me do this thing. And they're able to drill deep enough to put the bomb in that it will, in fact, blow up this asteroid. But now there's some bent pipe, and th- then they have to... I don't even really get this, except that it just eats up more time. Because it doesn't really do anything except put Ben Affleck in a little bit more danger and eat up more time on the clock. And then they have to run back towards the ship and then they realize like, Oh no, one of us has to stay behind. Yes. Because the bomb is damaged and now they, someone has to stay behind and activate the bomb manually. Yeah. Somebody has to push the button Who's it going to be? Well, it can't be either one of the pilots because you need both the pilots to pilot the ship. So it's got to be one of the the drill guys. And it can't be Steve Buscemi because he's bonker doodles by this point and we can't trust him. So it's got to be one of the other ones. And Bruce Willis is like, no, let me volunteer. And then the Russian's like, no, I'm not going to be the one that didn't volunteer. And I have to go back to Russia. And then they're going to be like, you weren't the guy that volunteered. And, you know, because because his another one of his whole quirks is he's wants to be the Russian hero. Yeah. Um, so he, what kind of Russian hero would he be if he let the American go? Yeah. So they finally decide to draw straws and Ben Affleck draws a short straw. Yeah, ironically, the youngest guy in the room is the one that has to die, that gets the the call to die. But he does actually have a good line, which is that, well, everybody's got to die. I get to be the guy that dies, saving the entire world. You know, which yeah. I mean, fair enough. You know, yeah. Bruce Willis does his like, well, I'm gonna walk him down there and you know say goodbye and. For some reason, everybody is like, yeah, that that seems normal. And just to put the little pressure on, just to put the little emphasis, if you haven't figured it out by now, that they put, you know, the camera lingers on Bruce Willis a bit as he gives a little side eye. Yeah. Wink and nudge there. Might as well have Michael Bay pointing at the screen, he's going to sacrifice himself. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you know, the Ben Affleck gives the most, like, guy-headed-to-the-gallows jo- performance ever, like, Take you know. Take care of Liv Tyler for me, and, and you, you know, know. Tell her I loved her, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, Bruce Willis does the thing where he, like, sabotages his suit and shoves him back inside the airlock and gives a little, like, you were always my son, even when I was shooting a gun at you and (laughs) firing you and ruining your career and telling you to get away from my daughter and that you were no good and worthless and, you know. The thing is, is, I mean, considering how kind of crappy a dad he was to live Tyler throughout the movie, I guess you could say that, like, yeah, he did sort of treat him like a son. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he actually says that he loves him. Yeah, at the end, he's like... Yeah, and he says, you know, yeah. I love you, kid. Goodbye, son. I love you too, Dad! <laughs> Thanks, abusive father <laughs> pointed a firearm at me. <laughs> Thank you, abusive father figure. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got daddy issues, I suppose. Yeah. The uh, but 
you know, so, you know, Bruce Willis, yeah, the payoff of that uh, Billy Bob Thornton thing is that Bruce Willis rips the mission patch off his jacket and says, you make sure to give this to Billy Bob Thornton. I guess if he couldn't actually go to space, something from space would be. Yeah, like, we couldn't have done the mission without you, man. You know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Sends uh, Ben Affleck back up to the ship and he gets down. But of course, the ship has problems that it can't go up. And so that's when we get the one woman that was on this mission that does absolutely nothing on this mission until this point when they send her back to fix the ship. And of course the Russian guy throws her out of the way and just bangs on some stuff. And is like, you know, listen to me, let me do my job. But it does give us the, 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 the bit of heart to heart between Bruce Willis and Liv Tyler. They say that they love each other. And it's like, I was never the best father to you, but I blah, 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 blah. You know how it goes. I always wanted to be like you, dad. And she keeps talking about how her mom walked out. We never see her mom at any point during in this movie. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause we talked about that when we talked about 10 things I hate about you. It's not necessarily a, it was, if it was explained better, maybe, but at least it's not, dead mom yeah well the thing is like i don't i don't know it's just so weird like at at no point you know she was all like she walked out on both of us and everything and i'm like yeah but like the world is literally ending you're not gonna just like pick up the phone or anything yeah 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 we never see like you're getting married at the end like there's not even just like a woman there that you could be like, oh, that's probably the mom. Like, she really hates this woman. Yeah. That's all I'm saying, you know? <laughs> like, But yeah, you know, so Bruce Willis does the whole, like, you know, hey, I super duper love you. She's like, oh, I super duper love you too. And he's like, okay, I gotta go blow myself up now. I'm sending your boyfriend home. It, marry him. I won't be around to shoot him anymore. And then they have this weird flash of Liv Tyler's life in this through Bruce Willis's eyes. Yeah, like the entire saving of the world comes down to just this one guy wanting to save her. Whatever motivates you. Yeah, like I'm I'm glad Liv Tyler was around or else the earth would have been screwed. And I guess nobody else on that shuttle had anything cared cared at all about saving the earth. There's the, the you know there's the the joke is they got you know no 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 you got you gotta you gotta mention the part where where Bruce Bruce Willis like the the asteroid gives like one last sentient shake yeah to try to get Bruce Willis off its back and he almost doesn't make it and like with like two seconds left to go he finally hits the button so of course the asteroid breaks up and just passes harmlessly around Earth. They uh, try to make some, there's some clear ADR lines of, yeah, the, the asteroid is going to miss us by X feet. We're only good, but we're still going to get some debris, but it's not as bad as it could have been. This feels like after they filmed the movie, whatever scientific advisor they had to, hey, uh, someone's going to ask some questions. You might want to put a, a line in here. Uh, we haven't, we're, it it also filmed. vaporized all the, the smaller debris, too. That's That's the line they put in to be like, Shut up about the other debris. It burns up in the atmosphere or something. Um, yeah, not before not before one of the larger chunks uh, 
It's Paris. It's Paris and just completely obliterates like that whole chunk of France. R.I.P. So, Paris. What what did Michael Bay have against Paris? It's full of foreigners. <laughs> they talk funny and they eat weird food, probably. Yeah. Actually, what's so funny is that apparently the the bit of Paris being destroyed was added near the end so that it could be put in the uh, near the end of filming apparently so that it could be put in the the trailer to differentiate it in commercials from deep impact is what because a lot of the a lot of the um places that were destroyed were either the same cities or looked similar to ones that were destroyed in Deep Impact. But one of the ones that wasn't destroyed in Deep Impact was Paris. They put in the scenes of Paris being destroyed so that people would go like, wait, are you going to go see the the one where they blow up Paris or the one where they don't blow up Paris? <laughs> Yeah, so like you know, they uh, the shuttle lands and everything. Everybody's like, "Oh, yay, we're we're heroes!" And see, Pusimi's like, "Yeah, remember, I'm a hero, and do not tell them that I went bonker doodles on the asteroid and tried to like kill everybody with a gun." <laughs> so yeah, and all the storylines come to a head, and Ben Affleck is with is with Liv Tyler, and Will Patton gets to hug his son. There's that nice little bit. As they're going up where, you know, uh, the son is going, Mommy, it's the salesman from earlier. That's not a salesman. That's your daddy. Yeah. And the the stripper wants to be with Steve Buscemi. Ben Affleck gives Billy Bob Thornton the patch that from Bruce Willis's suit. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we get the, post, the, the credit scene, which is footage of Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's wedding. And... You see the pictures of the lost uh, drillers at the wedding in their astronaut suits. Yeah, and, you know, everybody's really sad. It's like, oh, Bruce Willis, your daddy. And then it's like, oh, Owen Wilson, he had a horse ranch. Oh, there was another guy that died along the way. Oh, Max. Oh, Max. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, Bruce Willis. Oh, Owen Wilson. Oh, Max. Oh, other guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it got to the end of the movie and I was like, oh, there was a. Wait, who's that guy that died? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember who that other guy was. But yeah, anyway, they have pictures up to the fallen. And you know, the rest of the credits is footage of the wedding with the punchline being that the stripper catches the bouquet. Yeah, so I guess Steve Buscemi's getting married. Yay. Yay. And we, and we get the Aerosmith song. So yeah, so we've been talking about how all of these movies have had a song get nominated for an Oscar and win an Oscar for best song. This song got nominated for an Oscar and 
lost the Oscar. What did it lose to? <laughs> it lost to uh, that song, When You Believe, from Prince of Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can actually see that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this this did not... The uh, song was written but, by Diane Warren, who, you know, big, uh, big important songwriter. Has I written mean, many, 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 many songs. I mean, you know all of her songs. Uh, every, every year when when we uh, set our clocks back, you get all of those if I could turn back time memes. That's yeah. one of hers. And of course, uh, Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me is mm-hmm. one of hers. And uh, all that. So, I mean, you know, it's like she's, she's written a lot of stuff you know. And of course, if you're the a Star Trek fan, you know that she uh, she wrote the theme tune that they ended up using for Enterprise. Mm. Uh, so, of course, that one always goes through your your head. But uh, that one that one did uh, did not win at the Oscars that year. So this one breaks our breaks our streak. <laughs> it was inescapable on the radio. I mean, and it is still memorable to this day. It's still you know. But of course, let's let's get that joke. We'll save the joke. I wanted to save the joke to the end. Yes, it's a movie starring Liv Tyler, but a song sung by Steven Tyler. Yeah. So Kiki, let's ask the question: Does Armageddon have the magic? It's not a good film. No. Weirdly, uh, this is the first of the the. Disaster films to be in the Criterion Collection. Hmm. How weird is that? Uh, that 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 just that does weird me out. The fact that this is in the Criterion Collection. And so you know they usually do bizarre little art house films. It's it's stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those that once again it's a. It's a cultural touchstone. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. But it's not a great film. It's kind of in the same category as the other two films. Huge blockbuster, really important in the zeitgeist of the time. Uh, It inspired a lot of things in other films. But as a standalone movie, it's not... It's more fun, definitely, than last week's film. Mm. So, you know, it's definitely more fun than Towering Inferno. Possibly more fun than Poseidon Adventure, but not more interesting than Poseidon Adventure. Mm. Poseidon Adventure had more interesting characters. I liked I like Poseidon Adventure better. I'd rather watch Poseidon Adventure than Armageddon. Like with the Poseidon Adventure, I was not bored with this. And like I said, I was really bored with uh, Towering Inferno, but this one wasn't boring. I actually enjoyed myself watching this movie. And I don't know, maybe is this a movie that I'm going to come back to very often? Probably not. But I actually liked the movie so i'm going to say yes magic but it's not going to be on my rewatch rewatch pile anytime soon yeah 
I mean, it's fair. Yeah. It, it's one of those that I think a lot of disaster movies are like that. Um, I do want to say that this is the uh, the first of these films we've talked about that actually inspired a Disney park attraction. Hilariously, hmm. they put it in Disneyland Paris of all places. <laughs> The, the city that was destroyed in this movie. The city that was destroyed in this movie, yeah. Um, it was uh, a uh, an Armageddon uh, special effects extravaganza. And um, it was put in the, the park and it was a full room... Uh, special effects immersive thing and it was uh, based on the scene where Mir was destroyed and Michael Clark Duncan appeared in the little film at the beginning the whole thing was later uh, closed and it uh it was only closed in uh, 2019, actually. Uh, so it lasted from 2002 until 2019. The area where that ride was is now Avengers Campus. Yeah, it's it's the it's the Avengers Campus in in Paris, and uh, that particular spot was is now the uh, Spider-Man web. Uh, adventure. I've for... written the I've written the one in California, so sure. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's it's just hilarious that that's the park that got the the Armageddon attraction. Yeah, sorry we destroyed your city. Here's a here's a reminder of that film. And if, if if memory serves, that was right by the Aerosmith roller coaster. The uh, oh. roller coaster with, with, with Aerosmith, <laughs> right. which now is an Iron Man roller coaster, since that is also in Avengers Campus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, huh. so there. I mean, it makes sense to have the Aerosmith ride next to the Armageddon, right? Yeah, I mean. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and they should bring an Iron Man uh, roller coaster to the uh, Disneyland. Well, they have that that Thanos ride that they, they they've announced. We'll see what 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 comes up after that. Yeah, who knows? So uh, let's move on to next week. We've gone from an asteroid about to strike the Earth to freezing the Earth in the day after tomorrow. Yeah, we're going from Michael Bay to Roland Emmerich. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> so come also, stay tuned later this week as we will be discussing our thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So come back for that and we will talk to you all next time. Bye! Bye. Thanks for joining us for three years. Bye! <laughs> 
If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.